You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the show where we go back and we look at every single episode, arc, story from the Clone, from the Clone Wars TV show and celebrate it now that the series has, unfortunately, been wrapped up. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Kieran. Hi, Dominic. How are you? I'm fantastic, especially after some of the news that came out this week. How about yourself? Oh, fantastic. It's big, big Star Wars news this week, and uh, looking forward to discussing it. Yeah, and uh, also joining us this week, he was so good last week, we decided to bring him back. He is from the Irish Garrison of the Bible First and the Star Wars Underworld. We have Mr. Chris Lynn. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Um, looking forward to discussing the news this week, and also looking back over some, some great classic episodes. Yeah. So... Before we, uh, before we jump into the episodes, there are a couple things we want to talk about first. And the first thing, of course, is we know that the Clone Wars television series has wrapped up, but we do, we do have known for a while that there's this bonus content coming, but we didn't know when. Well, finally, Dave Filoni took to his, uh, his Facebook page, his supervising director, Dave Filoni, and he revealed that it will be coming in early 2014. So while that's not exactly a specific date, it does give us a little bit more of a picture of when it will be coming, and he does say that they have wrapped production on every single episode that they were working on. So it's a kind of a bittersweet moment, I, I gotta say. Um, it is a little bit, but it's um, it's good to know, like you said, when the date's going to be there. And I feel that there's definitely a bit of uh, teasing there with the, the Yoda arc, which was actually mentioned in the actual, um, what, what was released from Dave Filoni. So that'll be interesting to see what that's going to entail. Yeah. And, and yeah. By yourself, Chris. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good, you know, to have that, that announcement and this confirmation. It's it's all real and it's happening. But he says, you know, they've, they've finished the last episode. They still haven't told us how much bonus content we're actually getting. And he can't turn around now and tell us he doesn't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I want a real announcement. You know, it was nice and all, but. Yeah, I still think we want something more more than that. Something from StarWars.com or yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think we can expect that real announcement probably sometime in December. I think that would be a okay a reasonable time to expect it. And because, like you said, there's no date, there's no number of episodes, there's no release format. You know, we don't know if it's going to be on StarWars.com or Apple TV, boo, or um, <laughs> Blu-ray or whatever they're going to do. So, and yeah, so hopefully. But I think it, I think he knows though because it says in the um, what he says when exactly is a detail I cannot yet share, which goes to show that he does know from that oh, he yeah. knows when it's going to be. He's not going to tell us yet, and I think perhaps he was doing that because he didn't want to detract that from the Rebels panel that was yesterday. Yeah, which I, I think would make sense. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah, I think that's why they they dropped this when they did because they didn't want people to you know be all excited about rebels and then 
forget all of that because they're finally getting the last few episodes of The Clone Wars. So I think it kind of works out where people get that brief bit of excitement over those brief few episodes that they'll get and then get to be excited for a longer time for something that they'll be seeing for a longer time. Um, And of course, we, we mentioned Rebels and... We've gotten the teaser trailer uh, this past week, and a lot, a lot of interesting stuff came out of New York Comic Con, which was uh, yesterday at the time of recording. So, uh, what did you guys first off? What did you guys think of the teaser trailer that uh, that was uh, it aired on Disney XD on Monday? Uh, Kieran, uh, the teaser trailer. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to your com- comments about that um, on the latest podcast, and it was actually interesting. I didn't think. When the, when the spokesman was talking about the rise of the Jedi, that was actually an interesting thing that he said about that. Mm-hmm. Because, as you said, it's a period where we all believe, and it seems to be, that the Jedi don't rise. It's the rise of the Sith more than anything else, and the, and the rise of the, of the Galactic Empire. So I would like to think, though, that they haven't just got a random spokesman on there who doesn't know what he's talking about, and that maybe there is actually a subtle hint there about what this is actually going to entail. Um, there's no doubt that there will be Jedi in there, which of course we know with the Inquisitor, as that is his job, is to hunt down the Knights. Sorry, kind of detracted from the trailer there. But the, the teaser trailer itself, again, people were getting worked up about it. Like you said, it's a teaser trailer. It's not going to show everything that's going to happen. It's not out for another year yet. So I don't think everyone should be panicking. It's just to show that it's coming soon. Yeah. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I thought it was a fun little sneak i suppose even if that um star story looks awesome and i'm personally at the minute especially with again diversion to the panel sorry but um everything they've shown us with rebels apart from the ghost ship has been imperial (laughs) (laughs) they should really should be called empire or imperials but as a member of the 501st i'm loving it so far (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and and you guys mentioned the panel uh today uh where we got the reveal of the sith inquisitor or, or i guess just the inquisitor who is this creepy-looking, lightsaber-wielding agent of Darth Vader who is tasked with hunting down the Jedi. Um, and he looks a little familiar to Clone Wars viewers. He looks a little bit like the, the son from Mortis. Uh, Chris, what did you think of the Inquisitor? Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree that he looks a lot like the guy from Mortis. And I, you, sort of, you look at that picture and you expect to hear Sam Whitworth's voice, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think when, it, when I first saw it, I was a little disappointed that Vader isn't going to be the frontline bad guy, but I think it makes a lot of sense because you have to, you have to protect some of the myth around Vader. Like Vader can't, if you have a, a one or two episode skirmish with the bad guys, Vader can't be on the losing side. You know, Vader has to always be that ultimate badass. So this is our our ventures or our grievous type to try and take some of the focus away. And yeah, he looks cool enough, and uh, hopefully he's got an interesting backstory. Because at least with with grievous and ventures, we we knew sort of who they were before. Ventures had the comic books and was based on concept art, and grievous was. In Revenge of the Sith, but this guy is an entirely unknown, so it's quite exciting. Yeah, yeah, Kieran, what do you what did you think of the Inquisitor? Yeah, I'm actually very intrigued about that. Um, I think the animation around him looks fantastic. By the way, um, he really does look pretty scary, and and the detail with the lightsaber in particular um, is fantastic. It's a, it's a new design, but it's a really cool model actually, um, because it's nothing that I don't. It's nothing that's been seen on the Clone Wars or um, on, the, on the films before, so that's a very interesting concept, that one. But related to the actual Inquisitor as, as the villain, I think it'd be interesting, as you said, Chris, to learn about his backstory. 
because it'd be intriguing if he actually had a role in the Clone Wars. I mean, obviously he'd be alive around then, and it'd be interesting to see how he comes comes into this. I know we got this bonus content, but you never know. There could be something linked into that that um, could feed into this whole Inquisitor, particularly with the whole Sith Temple. But a lot of people as well have said that this um, they're disappointed because they think it's another Sith and there's supposed to be this rule of two, but how do we know this person is a straight Sith? There's obviously lots of Dark Jedi around in the galaxy, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if this is not an ancient an agent of the dark side and you have to imagine there's got to be more than just Vader and, and Sidious out there. So I quite like this. I'm glad that they got a new villain in there. Because then what could happen is you could have Darth Vader making a special appearance at a later episode. I would quite like that more than if it was just Vader throughout the whole thing. Because after a while it would just get a bit samey. And I don't think that's the whole point of this. It's supposed to be a brand new concept. So I'm liking this idea. Yeah, you, about yourself, Dominic. You guys took the words right out of my mouth. I gotta say, I was, I was thinking the same thing. I didn't, you know, as cool as it, it would be to see Vader on a weekly basis. I don't want him to be the, the main villain of the series. Um, I want him to keep some of that that mystery and some of that badassness that he'll only come in when things get really tough, when things are really bad, and we know things are not going to go our hero's way. It's when Vader shows up, and that this Inquisitor can be sort of a more running villain that they'll encounter. Uh, more often than not, and the fact that he's um, you know he's tasked by Vader to hunt down Jedi, I think that really, really confirms that some Jedi I don't know we don't know who or or if there's more than one, uh, but that some there will be a huge Jedi presence in this series, and it goes back to some of that the Jedi will rise, um, maybe the Jedi will have a bigger role in forming the rebellion than we initially thought. I, I, so, so as much as we only learned about the Empire, what we learn about the Empire tells us something about the the rebels, and I think that that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm looking point. looking forward to seeing this guy in action because he looks yeah. so cool. I'm not quite surprised that people are complaining at this stage about Rule of Two. I mean, you have Ventress, and even beyond that, you have Maul and Savage right at the same time as Dooku and Sidious and Ventress. You know, it's, it's a lot of red lightsabers. Yeah, you know, it's it's, not, it's nothing new, especially if you look at the expanded universe. There already are Sith Inquisitors, that's a thing. You know, I was particularly surprised by the comments. I was particularly surprised by the comments, Chris. Sorry to jump in there, but yeah. because I thought people would have got over it as well. But, yeah. you know, see some of them and you just think, come on, it's a new, it's a cool idea. You haven't even seen how it's going to be put into practice yet. You can't make judgments at this stage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And how do we even know? You know, that he is a Sith. Um, you know, what does that term mean? Is that something that's going to be explored in the new series or even in the new films? Um, because you know, all, all Sith are dark Jedi, but not all dark Jedi are Sith. Is sort of how I've always interpreted it, um, and we saw that a bit in the Clone Wars with General Krell in the later episodes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can have dark Jedi. Exactly. Well, here's a spin. Maybe there's uh, the rule of two applies to Sith lords. You, know, you can still be a follower of the Sith without being a Sith Lord or an apprentice. Yeah, that's definitely it. Or, you know, this may be the rule of two. Uh, maybe we've just been interpreting it wrong for the last several years. And that how it's supposed to work is the there's the Sith Master and his apprentice. And the apprentice, in order to be able to, to kill the Master, has to train their own apprentice. And then, you know, so if Vader wants to kill Palpatine, he trains this Inquisitor. And then when they kill Palpatine, Vader becomes the master, the Inquisitor becomes the apprentice, and the Inquisitor will have to go out and find his own apprentice to eventually 
take over for Vader. Um, Unless that's a very cool idea. Yeah. Or he, he might not want to wait for that, and it could be just a, a string of Sith, you know, when it covers off, everyone's apprenticed to someone else. Exactly. And everyone's constantly plotting, that's the Sith way, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's actually an interesting idea. But also, you could take it that perhaps there is this rule or two, but because Darth Sidious is so powerful, um, in order to try and overthrow the Master, uh, the Apprentice is having to find new dark Jedi or some sort of um, force user to train in order to capitalize upon that and actually defeat Sidious. Oh yeah, I, that's sort of what I what I took from the Clone Wars in the in Dooku having Ventress as an apprentice is that Dooku didn't think he was powerful enough to overthrow Sidious by himself and that he needed someone who was maybe yeah. not quite as powerful as him, but with their combined power could overthrow Sidious and you know Dooku could take his place as leader of the Sith. Here's another thought. Um, Palpatine, it's, the road to really ends with the Emperor's death and Vader's death in the same the same time on the, the second Death Star. Yeah. So Palpatine breaking the rules of the road to is, you could argue, is why it fell apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can say this, I think, because it absolutely breaks the rule of two, as does Ventress, as does everyone else, but it didn't work when you started to break it. So, yeah. yeah, it could, um, you know, it could mm-hmm. create more distrust than we then needed between the Sith Master and the Apprentice being Palpatine yeah. and Vader. And if Vader keeps having these apprentices, then Sidious won't ask him for help on anything. And they'll sort of become, dis- they'll start, start to split yeah. and their power will decrease. And then someone like Luke can come in and, you know, convert one of them back to the light side. That's what's, what's interesting, that, because you look at episode six and Sidious is so open about it, though, isn't he? He's so open at saying that Luke's going to be his apprentice. I mean, what does Darth Vader think about all of this? That's that's, that's something I, I've actually just thought about now, actually. He's, he's standing there all this time and he's saying he's going to be my new apprentice. And I, I guess Sidious wants Luke to kill Vader, but is that what Vader feels his role is? Yeah, it, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a way... Um, you know, it's put, like putting Anakin and Dooku against each other in Episode Three. Whoever wins is the more powerful, and that one will take mm. their place uh, at his side. So if Vader wins, um, you know, he may be so angry at Palpatine that he'll gain some of that power that he's lost over the years of being a, you know, a cyborg. Basically, he'll gain some of that power back out of you know pure hatred for Palpatine, because that's some of the that's something that I think caused Anakin to go over the edge and go to the dark side in, in episode 3 was his hatred of, of Mace Windu and that if it had been a different Jedi standing there, if it had been Obi-Wan, maybe he wouldn't have uh, he wouldn't have sliced their arm off and let them <laughs> you know, fly out the window so that's sort of how I see it and if Luke had killed Vader then, you know, Luke had pretty much fallen at that point, well, it would have been Sidious's apprentice Well that's interesting because that's that's what he says in episode three, isn't it? And when when he uh, Palpatine reveals himself to be the Sith, he actually says that he can feel Anakin's hatred. He can tell that Anakin's so upset because he what he thought was a trusted mentor was actually the Sith. And perhaps, like you said, if Vader was to win, that's what he wants back is that that sheer hatred for his master. Exactly. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think we have just figured it out. <laughs> I think yeah. we have just cracked the code of the rule of two. So this Sith Inquisitor then asks uh, ask plenty of questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. 
already even just a brief clip or image and yeah. some of the concept art look fantastic by the way oh. um of this inquisitor um there's already a, you know massive discussion about oh. what, what's he going to do how's he going to feature speaking of his the, backstory yeah speaking of the concept art at, at celebration uh, Floney, it's in my mind dropped hints that this is going to be a very different looking show to clone wars and these people look like clone wars characters he's straight out of clone wars <laughs> no am, am i wrong <laughs> He, the Inquisitor does, does yeah. A lot yeah. more Clone Wars, Clone Wars than other characters, but like the Stormtroopers and uh, they look distinct enough in, in my in my yeah. books. From it's books. it's rounder, but it's still like a similar level of exaggeration. I think it just it fits. And I saw a sketch. I think it was of like a, an Imperial officer, and he was just straight off the, the Clone Wars. <laughs> oh, he he was, he was like that. Yeah. Um, oh, who's the who's the policeman? Who is oh, in uh, uh, Senate Murders? Uh, Tandivo. Yeah, That's I'm him. Not on the show <laughs> he reminded me of him. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe no, that maybe that's his up. future. Maybe yeah. you know, Filoni's been saying he's been hinting at Clone Wars characters being in Rebels. Maybe the Clone oh. Wars character that makes it to Rebels <laughs> is Tandivo. Tan- How much would people love that? I mean, yeah, tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, God. But also going back to the look of the series, just for just a second, I thought that the um, the backgrounds uh, for the, for at least in the trailer, the the space backgrounds looked a lot more cartoony than Clone Wars backgrounds ever did. They looked a little bit more hand drawn than than the Clone Wars stuff. But that might but that might just be a fact that that that's nothing more than a teaser, and it's not really any indication of what we can expect to see other than that Star Destroyer model. Yeah, well, Clone Wars did get better season upon season, and if if it is that same the same team and the same technology being used to make it, then it's a, it should be a season more advanced by the time we get to see it, if not more so. Oh, with the time sure. we have, for sure, absolutely. So, I see with the Star Destroyer, it does look a little bit more cartoony than some of the ships that we've seen previously, but I still think the planets look okay. Um, I mean, it all looks very good, but. It's just, I think, more adjusting. It's not exactly going to be the same as the Clone Wars. And I suppose it's going to be difficult now, but if you thought the first time you saw the Clone Wars, you might have thought it was a bit jarring for the first time because it's completely different to what we've ever seen before. Oh, yeah. And there's the other thing is it kind of... The other thing I kind of noticed about the Stormtroopers, they kind of look like a combination of Clone Wars and Detours. There's a bit of Detours to them, yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit more roundedness. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so but yeah so that's uh that's the star wars rebels panel uh for, for new york comic-con i'm looking forward to finding out some more as, as the the months go by and we get closer and closer to that fall 2014 which i guess it would be about a, a year from now is when they said we can expect that first episode so well i think we could tell from this week that 2014 will be a big year for star wars no doubt about it i know everyone's waiting for the films but we've got now got the clone wars bonus content in a in the um, first season uh, of the year. And then we've got, to finish off the year, we've got Rebels and all new information of Star Wars Episode Seven. I'm sure, will be coming out. Yeah, all through the, the summer, year. yeah. Especially, yeah, we'll we get yeah. some trailers and all kinds of good stuff right up until it's released in 2015. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump into the Clone Wars episodes. Uh, today we'll be talking about the episode, the season one episode ambush, and the season three episode supply lines. I guess those are reversed in terms of chronological order. Um, 
which is you know kind of speaks to the way this the series told stories the fact that we're talking about a season three episode and a season one episode at the same time um but but let's jump into it right away i've got a brief synopsis oh, yes. if you want for the episode yes That'll for help. sure uh so let's go with supply lines first uh yep it says ryloff is under siege trapped on the surface jedi master d rallies the local forces with the help of chams and doodah Desperate to save them, the Jedi Council dispatches Senator Bail Organa and Representative Binks to the planet Toydaria, where they are to convince the neutral regent, King Katunko, to send aid to Ryloth. Bail and Jar Jar must convince Toydaria that their cause is just before it's too late. The Trade Federation envoy Lotdod attempts to prevent the Toydarians from giving up their neutrality. So that's quite long, that's, that's the Star Wars official description. Yeah. And the fortune cookie of the episode is, when there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> I love that one. It's so perfect for this episode. Um, so let's let's start off by talking about about Ryloth and, and Champs and Dula. We when we first saw this episode, we were kind of remembering the end of Champs and Dula's story and the end of the Ryloth story, which come at the end of season one. Uh, so Champs and Dula in this episode kind of feels betrayed by the Republic. Um, do you think he was right in that feeling, or do you think he was kind of overreacting to a, an impossible situation. Uh, Kieran, why don't you go first? Uh, I can see where it's coming from more in this episode than in the, the first appearance we're seeing, which we know chronologically is later down the line. But he, he thinks that he's going to get the supplies from the Republic. He's going to get Republic support. And yet it seems that the Jedi Council to him aren't doing anything. We know behind the scenes that they are. But when you're in a desperate situation, you're in the middle of a war zone, you can see and understand that he wants what's best for his people. On the other hand, I do feel a bit sorry for uh, the Jedi General D General and Master his Yeah, Jedi Master, I'm a gonna die. Yeah, that yeah. one. <laughs> that one, yeah. I, feel, I do feel sorry in that respect for those guys because they're there, they're still fighting with Champs and Dula and the, and the Twi'leks, they haven't abandoned them. They've stayed. They feel as betrayed as the Twi'leks do. So, uh, in a way, I could see now why he feels betrayed by the other Jedi, but I don't understand why he, he takes it out on this one, because he's there, he's sticking in the fight, and in the end, he, he sacrifices himself for the Twi'leks. Yeah, I, I personally, when I was watching this episode, I, I really had a hard time being sympathetic to Cham because as much as I agreed that the, the Republic should be doing more, I kind of felt like, you know, the Jedi gave his life for them, and he wasn't grateful at all. Um, Chris, what, what do you think? Um, I, I, I don't know if he's right to feel betrayed, but I can certainly see why he does. Yeah. You know, Jet Master dies with a promising relief aid, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort your guys out, and then can't deliver. And it's, it's not Master Dai's fault that he can't. It's the machinations of Palpatine, essentially, through the, the Separatists, messing things around. But um, I think the episode does provide a lot of good context for, for Charles and Dula. When we first saw him later in the story, the crazy way Clone Wars works, um, he's really hugely hostile towards Miss Windu, and he makes that case for he doesn't want a military presence on the planet. But I think this adds really good context. And whether justified or not, you can you can follow the character's sort of thoughts on it and, and how he arrived at that position, which I think helps him be a bit more sympathetic. Um, but it is it is annoying because you get this really tragic sacrifice from from Master Tai and Charm's just meh. <laughs> yeah, 
it, but, um, yeah, it kind of it made me question his character because yeah. you know there's Jedi Master Die going out and dying, and Mace Windu shows up a little bit later on, and he's like, "I want nothing to do with the Jedi." It's sort of like, dude, if, the, if it weren't for the Jedi, you wouldn't be alive anymore. You'd have died on Ryloth as well in, in that first episode. So, but that's. That's part of the brilliance of what Palpatine's doing throughout the entire Clone Wars and before and after. He's totally besmirching the character of the Jedi. And not only through propaganda from Separatists, but also just by creating situations where they fail to live from promises and damaging their relationships. You know, if you, you put a Jedi on a planet like Ryloth and you limit their supplies, you're, you're creating this sense of strain within that society and between those relationships. And that's just how the, the general public is able to turn on the Jedi come Order 66. That's that's very interesting because that is that is one of the parts of this as to why Palpatine wins is the political side. Again, we're going to go talk about the Ryloth arc later, but I can remember a quote by Count Dooku. He said that if we're going to lose this, we'll take this to our political advantage by killing off the Twi'leks. So yep. you can see how they see the political side is very very important because in the public opinion back in Coruscant and, and from other planets, they're going to see the Jedi as not saviors, but the bringer of such burden and hardship for the peoples of all the different planets that they've, well, they claim they've saved. Sure, yeah, sort of, you know, things things may have been bad under us, but look how much worse it was under the Jedi. Um, yeah. Makes us look good kind of thing, for sure. Um, let's, let's talk about um, the sequence on... Uh, not not Cato Nemordia. What's the planet? The Toydarian. Toydarian. Toydaria. Yeah, Toydaria. King Katunko and uh, Bail Organa, Lot Dodd, Jar Jar, all of that stuff. So Lot Dodd uh, made a very interesting distinction between the Trade Federation and the Separatists. And it's one that it really sort of starts to explain how the Separatists are able to have or at least the Trade Federation, are able to have this presence in the Senate because apparently Newt Gunray is nothing more than an extremist, according to Lot Dodd. Um, and this was something that I found very interesting, that if everybody thinks the Separatists and the Trade Federation are one and the same, why are they allowed to still have this seat in the Senate? And I, I gather, you know, Palpatine will will put together, will have these machinations to keep keep it that way. But why isn't there more of a, a push from people like Bail Organa or Padme to get someone like Lot Dirt out of the Senate? Uh, Chris, do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, well, I mean, as, as a fan watching the Star Wars movies and watching the Clone Wars, we know that the Treated Federation are dirty and they're dodgy and, that, and they're involved. But what I think it's, it's kind of easy to forget is that they are a business, they're a company, and they're they're feeding both sides. They're supplying. They're doing deals with the Republic, and they're doing deals with the Separatists, even though they are the Separatists. <laughs> and I think part of the reason why they're still in the Senate is it's getting that legally binding proof. Well, that would be a whole ordeal in a story arc in itself, and probably not one of the most entertaining <laughs> ones for, for that to come out. You can see them do it start of season three. Um, but I think it's actually watching this episode again chronologically, you know, sort of immediately after the Clone Wars movie and virtually immediately after Attack of the Clones, uh, it gives it a bit more of context and a, uh, just sort of a setup to just the, the political situation and just the way people view things in the universe. I think when we first saw this, and it was three years into watching the Clone Wars, it was like, 
hold on a minute. I we've seen for a fact by now plenty of evidence that the Trade Federation is absolutely dodgy and dirty. Where it's this, you sort of get that idea very early on that it's not that clear for everybody. And the stuff that we see from this point on is a lot grayer than good versus evil. That's that's you know, a it, that's a good point. I, I hadn't I hadn't been thinking of it that way. I'd kind of still been thinking of it as an episode we'd see in three three years into this, and not as one that you watch right after Attack of the Clones, and sort of how this sets up some of that grayness that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, at at that stage, we've seen Obi Wan spying on Count Dooku, sitting with Nuka and Ray and and Runhako and a few others. But does the ga- wider galaxy believe Obi Wan's testimony from that? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kieran, Kieran, any any thoughts on this? Yeah, this is actually a question I had because when you're going through the episode, you as a, an audience member, I, oh, I found it particularly difficult how they could believe in all of this. Even Bail Organa made the claim that he was too chummy with the separatists, and I know he then explained that he's not. And we clearly know from this episode that he is, because Count Duke is the one who goes and says, go and get Lot Dodd. So if that doesn't, you know, spell it out for somebody else. We have nothing to do with the Separatists, except that their leader sent me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It couldn't be more clear cut than that, could it? So that did make me chuckle a little bit. But um, yeah, the whole idea surrounding it, I I can understand why um, Palpatine wants to keep these there. And you can imagine, I suppose, they're like bankers. If you look at like the world wars, the real world here, um, then you did have these uh, companies. Uh, I can remember an example of like the Spanish Civil War when um, you know American companies were funding on both sides for the Republicans and the Nationalists. So I'm going a bit history here, but, but that's what I could see the Trade Federation as then. They're kind of pushing the money out to both sides here, and they can gain as a consequence. But yeah, ultimately... Absolutely. They are on the side of the separatists. There's no doubt about that. If, as illustrated here, Count Duca was to give them a call and say, can you do this or do this, they, they would in turn do it. There's no doubt about that. But what they're doing is they're exploiting this situation to their own end. A bit like what uh, Palpatine obviously is with the whole war, but what they're doing is within the war, they're trying to exploit and make gains on both sides. Yeah, I think that's spot on, Kieran. I think that's backed up by the fact that in the episode, Lot Dodd, his argument is that Tordarian needs to stay neutral. They can't pick a side. You know, yes, we know he's there on behalf of the Separatists, but he's not pushing for that. He's not pushing for him to join the Separatists. He's pushing for them just to stay out of it completely so they can do trade. Yeah, so good, good points. Uh, I had a I had a point and I've forgotten it. Um, so we'll move on and hopefully I can remember it again. Um, but this episode is also famous for a little bit of Gungan, um, con- Gungan interpretive art to represent uh, <laughs> friendship and peace done by everybody's favorite Gungan, Jar Jar. Um, so this one, this episode, I really think was Jar Jar at his funniest. Um, since, Absolutely. Since he got his head stuck between the, uh, the power line of the pod racers. Um, and so what did you guys think of, of Jar Jar's little, little bit of art there? Uh, Chris? I, I absolutely love it. Um, I think we've all discussed on podcasts we've been on before that all three of us love Jar Jar, am I right? Yeah. Everyone here? I, I'm, yeah, I absolutely. Love Jar Jar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's absolutely say. It's one of his finest moments. And I think for a lot of people, the Clone Wars won Jar Jar over. Or maybe that's, I've worded that sentence badly, but this already going into this, I was already a big Jar Jar fan, and he did not disappoint. It's, it's the little mumblings he's going around picking up the plates. Did, did you like that? Did you enjoy that? Well, I'm taking it. <laughs> And he stacks them all up, and it's the facial expressions, and 
the little boy when he's finished. I, just, I can't get enough of that character. I don't care what anyone says. I, I would watch a spin-off film about Jar Jar. <laughs> I totally agree with you, Chris, because Jar Jar is such a good character in this. And I think as well what made this one a bit more special is that Again, we're going to go back to season one here rather than chronologically. There was a couple of episodes, I remember, when Jar Jar wasn't actually voiced by Armored Best. Yeah. It was some yes. other person, yes. and he didn't sound like Jar Jar. And I think that didn't really help his character either. But then we have Armored Best back, and he's just as natural as Jar Jar. It was fantastic yeah. to have him there. And I was watching a bit of the Dave Filoni feature on this episode, and I liked how he said, without Jar Jar, they would fail. There's no doubt about it, because... You know, the Jedi make the comment, don't they, in the beginning, when they say, oh, we want you, uh, Bail Organa, to be there. And he's like, well, Senator Amidala's fine. And they're like, no, Binks is coming. It's almost like, oh, God, it's going to be a walking disaster. You've got to be there to stop it from, you know, going out of control. And yet it's actually, Bail Organa tries his best to negotiate, and it fails. Um, well, it doesn't, I don't know if it fails, but without Jar Jar, they would have been able to see that the supply lines would have been... Yeah. Uh, was being taken to uh, Ryloth in the end. Well, the other and, option was uh, close the curtains, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this curtains. Absolutely. They could have done it without windows. Go somewhere else. Yeah, you know, why, why do it? yeah. Exactly, exactly. And another point, I'm going to ask both of you a quick question on this then, is that um, what Dave Filoni said, he said, is it innocence? Is Jar Jar being that foolish? Or is he actually using the ability to be perceived as a goofball to political advantage. Oh, I think he was definitely using it to his advantage. Um, I think throughout this whole episode, the, the reason Jar Jar works is because everybody knows he's such a goofball. Like like you said at the beginning, you know, Senator Amidala will do fine. No, no, no. Senator Binks is dealing with this. And every, everybody's like, okay, that's why we're that's why we need Bail Organa there. And, you know, he walks in, excuse me, you're some majesty, you know, <laughs> and all of that good stuff. Um, and so when he jumps up on the table, everybody already thinks, oh, God, what is, what is he going to do? And so, you know, if, if, you know, what else, like if Bail Organa was in that situation, what would Bail Organa do? What would Padme be able to do? The only person who can jump up on the table and not be, you know not have their political career ruined is Jar Jar. <laughs> he can jump up on the table and make his and stack his plates and cups and everybody will think, Oh yeah, Jar Jar being Jar Jar and, you know, it was an impressive pretty impressive little thing to be able to stack those <laughs> those plates and cups yeah. into yeah. something yeah. nice. And you saw the one Trade Federation guy really appreciating that until Lot Dodd gave him a dirty look and he <laughs> slowly stopped and hung his head and yeah, I, it was definitely his goofballness um, helped him out in that situation. What do you What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think Donald's exactly right in the way he summarized that. The other thing I would add to that is, I would say it's as simple as Jar Jar wants to cause a distraction. He knows he's causing a distraction, and yes, there's all this this, this layers behind it where Jar Jar is the only one that could get away with this. I don't think Jar Jar knows any of that though. I think Jar Jar is just creating a distraction and. Will of the Force, look at the draw or whatever, it's the right time and it just works. Um, I like to imagine George would try to strike like that all the time and it just doesn't work. But <laughs> with the oh, there's no doubt there that, that, that the Force is with George. There is no doubt uh, about yeah. that. Well, I mean, he, yeah. he had his, he's had a fair share of luck throughout his life. Yeah, he, he is. Yeah, like... He is. He is. Well, he is, you know that robot chicken sketch where he's like the dark lord of, of everything? That, that's what yeah. he is. That's right, what I can Bobby, you so manipulated me. 
<laughs> yeah. No, I think the force is definitely with Jar Jar. <laughs> to make Not to that extent. That's no, just but to make up for to make up for the way he screwed up in episode two, because you can trace everything yeah. back to him if he hadn't, yeah. um, you know, been manipulated to give the emergency powers to the Chancellor, then none of this would have happened. It was all Jar Jar's fault. Yeah, well, they, not to go off on a tangent, but in that, in that scene, like, Bill Organa is in that scene when the Emperor tricks Jar Jar into giving the emergency powers. How did Bail Organa let that happen? <sighs> I think... I think Bail Organa at that point was still at a, in a place where he trusted Palpatine. He trusted He's Palpatine. He's still toying the line. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then as the war goes on, he sees the atrocities and everything and the way Palpatine is just getting more and more power and he won't give it back and you know to the point where he's going to be a key player in the rebellion and hopefully a key player in Star Wars Rebels. I can buy that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry on that tangent. L- last bit on this one is that you could perhaps see that when I said the Force is with Jar Jar, maybe it is still with Jar Jar. Yeah, because we know it's Palpatine. He could have manipulated it in some way. We don't know how how he might have got inside Jar Jar's head or something and and then made him do it or something like that. But that's just an example. Well, but that raises feel... an interest. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, carry on, carry on. I was going to say it raises the question of did Palpatine win this episode? Um... That's just a good question. I I wonder if Palpatine really had any had any interest in this episode uh, well, because either way general, either way he mm. gets something out of it. Um, I think Palpatine Palpatine just wants the war to keep going. He wants a stalemate yeah. to continue. So, um, in a way, he really kept the stalemate going by keeping. Yeah, so I guess Palpatine did win this episode. He kept the stalemate going. Yeah, he he wins just by the fact that there's events happening at all. The fact that Bill Organa has to go there and and deal with this, that's a victory for Palpatine. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to quickly jump in. I think there's a good example that he could have won that, because you think at the end of the episode, and King Katsunko's there and goes and says, I um, went in to talk to the Jedi. Doesn't then that put in place the chance for the Separatists then to latch onto that and try and get Katsunko to join their side? At the end of the arc, you would say that they lost. But at the end of the episode, you could say, well, hasn't he been given the opportunity then to get Toydaria under his, under his control rather than as a neutral system? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. like he, he sort of he has one choice or the other. And either way, Palpatine well, both, wins. To be honest, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's, a good, that's a good way to think yeah. of it. <laughs> so it's, it's not a war in Republic versus Separatists for Palpatine. It's a war people who have chosen a side and those that haven't. Yeah. That's a good point. Because the more planets involved, the longer the war will go on. Yeah, also you get to the end and you control both sides and you just merge them together. Yeah, good point. Exactly. Excellent So point. the neutral ones step through your fingers. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think we'll move on to the next episode to Ambush, but I just want to say one last thing about this episode. Um, I, I, the thing that I loved about this one is that it took the idea of for every, uh, every laugh there should be a tear. And really, why I think this is such a good episode is because, for as hard as as you may laugh at, at Jar Jar, Jar Jar's shenanigans at the dinner table, um, I really, you know, when Master died, died, you know, I, I felt something for that this character that we had only known for less than twenty two minutes, and then I've heard some people saying that juxtaposing those two uh, those two scenarios against each other, they found that kind of jarring, 
Whereas I think that really is what makes this episode work on multiple levels. Uh, do you guys have, it, have anything to say on that? Or Yeah, I, yes. I, I totally agree. Go, go for it, Karen. You sure? Yeah. Okay, well, because I was going to say another thing that the featurette was saying. Uh, Dave Filoni said that this was an example of politics affecting the front lines of war directly. This is the first episode that we actually get to see both politics and fighting going on at the same time. And so when you can see it from that standpoint, then I think it's actually a very interesting episode. Rather than just, you know, fighting going on all the time, you've got you've got actually got um, something worth fighting for. You understand the situation and you know that it's imperative that they get these supply lines, otherwise the Twi'leks will die. So I actually quite liked that uh, mixture of politics and warfare in the same episode. Uh, you go ahead, Avaris. Yeah, well, expanding from your point there, Karen, about how its politics affect in the front line, and I think that's amplified by the fact that you have these... It's two separate locations. There's, there's events happening in Tordar, and there's events happening on Ryloth, and they're connected. But it's kind of sort of highlighting to you how separate these events can be, yet still be connected. So one of them is this really humorous comedy scene with George R. and his plates, where somewhere on the other side of the galaxy you have this terrible tragedy of the the Jedi and his clones making that sacrifice, and intrinsically linked, but even just from the mode and the mood and the tone, you can tell that it's they are two separate events. And there's there's one other thing we need to mention on this episode before we move on. And the funniest bit of all, I think, is right at the end when Lot Dawes yes. interrogating Organa, <laughs> and he turns to Jar Jar, and Jar Jar doesn't know what's going on and just gives him this big, massive, friendly wave. I have my Charger figure in that way of pose. Brilliant. That is fantastic. Yeah, I, I love that because it was almost it was almost a point of view shot from Lot Dot, just looking at Bale and then looking at Jar Jar and giving them the big wave. Uh, <laughs> and the only other fun. thing that I would mention is the is the cheesy names from some of these, like I'm gonna die, which kind of tells a story, but also the um, or is it General Dow? which I think stands for Dead on Board, isn't that? Another dead, one? dead on Arrival, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the, it. Dead. The Imperials, yeah. uh, Commander Killy or Captain Killy. They speak to at the start. Oh, yeah, no. Captain Killy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't even notice that one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, the only one I had a little bit of an issue with is Master I'm, I'm Gonna Die. Um, <laughs> just because just it's so obvious. Um, the other ones, yeah. I, I hadn't even thought of Captain Killy. As you know, Captain Killy, um, and you know, I remember Filoni saying something about uh, Admiral Dead on arrival, and I, I think yeah. that one was was subtle enough that that you know, unless you knew about it, you you wouldn't have picked it up right away. Um, yeah. Unlike I'm gonna die, which everybody knows right away what's gonna happen to him. Yeah. Do you guys remember when this episode aired? I think like I remember seeing online about the character Emma Gunn die before the episode had actually been on. I think we saw it on the Thursday or the Friday, and it's come on. If at least was something we'd find out about afterwards. Because in the course of watching the episode, I don't know if you necessarily pick up that he's Emma Gunn die. Yeah, yeah. During the episode, it's just... He says general, general die. die. Yeah. yeah. But I went to the episode knowing it's full name. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Uh, yeah, there was actually a video, wasn't there, of... Um, it was explaining all the all the names in Star Wars, such as Grievous and Maul. And then that's when it came on, I think, to the General Dow and, yeah, obviously, yeah. I'm a gonna die, or I'm a gun die. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, it's a funny line, no? but at least it didn't say any episode. I quite like yeah. that they said General Die because otherwise, if they said that, I mean, 
You know, I was going to take that seriously. You think he's he's not going to live past this episode? No, and he didn't. <laughs> he did it exactly. Yeah. So uh, let's let's jump into ambush now. Uh, Kieran, do you have a uh, plot description for ambush? I do indeed. Jedi Master Yoda and three clones, Jack, Fire, and Reese, must face off against Count Dooku's dreaded assassin Ventress and her massive droid army to prove the Jedi are strong enough in order to forge a treaty alliance with King Katunko and the Toydarians. And a fortune cookie for this episode is great leaders inspire greatness in others. Yeah, and this was the first episode that, that aired on television. It came right after the movie. And I personally, I think this was sort of the perfect episode to kick things off. I, I mean, as much as I love the Malevolence trilogy, and we'll get into that next time, um, you know, that first episode is a little bit slow. Whereas this one, I mean, I have a few notes up in front of me of things I don't want to forget about. And I've just got here Yoda kicking ass because he was amazing <laughs> in this episode. He's, he's everybody's favorite character. You're not going to find anybody that doesn't like Yoda. And to see him just running around and beating the droids pretty much single-handedly um you know this is the closest that this clone war series ever got to the micro series um in terms of you know one jedi can take out an entire legion of battle droids with his bare fists and personally i found this more believable simply because it is master yoda so what did you guys think of of yoda in this episode uh kieran why don't you go first i think this is the best yoda episode in the entire series I actually do. I think this whole episode dedicated to him is the best Yoda episode that that has that has actually aired on the series thus far. Apart from we know there's up, up and coming Yoda arc, it's just had everything really, didn't it? It had the um, what we saw in episode two. He was very powerful. Um, he was very mobile. But it also what I liked most about it is it had that Empire Strikes Back Yoda. It had the cave scene and. But it also had the, the charming, the mischievous Jedi as well. It just had everything that we know as Yoda. It was the perfect Yoda episode. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Chris, what did you think? Yeah, it's really refreshing episode. It's it's Yoda on top of his game. You know, if, if you look at Yoda in the prequel movies, he's always concerned, he's worried, and ultimately Yoda and the Jedi lose. But in this episode... Yeah, he's, he's absolutely badass, as we said, and he's kicking the ass out of absolutely everything, and the, there's not a second where it looks like he's in any physical trouble. But he also just completely kicks ass and, and wins from the very start. You know, At no point does he look like he's lost for an idea what to do next. He just goes with the flow and ends up on top. You know, it's like, oh, we're in trouble and getting out of this ship. The ship lands. Um, okay, we're going in this direction. No, we'll sit here. We'll go this way. And he's not phased at all. So absolute uh, tour de force from Yoda there. Uh, pardon the pun. <laughs> Tour de Force. It's the Jedi bicycle race. Um, yeah. yeah, like you guys said, I just, I just loved seeing Yoda. And, and Kieran, you brought up the, the cave scene where we really got some more of that Empire Strikes Back wisdom that Yoda was passing on, not even to Jedi, but just to clone troopers. Um, Chris, what did you think of, of that particular sequence? Yeah, it's really nice to be sort of have anything remind us of Empire, and they did a great job sort of using the same sort of lamps and lighting that we had on Dagobah, just to get you into that sort of into that zone, into that mood for watching the scene. I think it's a bit dark when you consider that one of the clones there is Fire or Tyree, whatever way it's pronounced, depending on where you're watching it. He's the clone that um, Palpatine sends to check for Yoda's body uh, after the fight in the Senate oh, wow. in Revenge of the Sith. I didn't, I didn't yeah. even catch that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's Commander Thire. That's so, a great one. That's a dark twist. Yeah, 
it's, it's, it's grim. And, and the Clone Wars is full of that. Every time you see sort of all episodes with Gree and all this, and Cody even. Yeah. A good example of that. So. The only time I, I really caught on to that, just because I'm not a, a clone person, was when Commander Apo showed up in in uh, yeah. Season 4. Like, oh, he's the one who's going to leave the salt on the Jedi Temple. I didn't even think of this one. That's really, <laughs> That puts that whole scene in a whole different light. Yeah. <laughs> Which, well, I think but, what's good about this one... Is, oh, sorry, carry on, Chris. No, no, that was, that was my point. I was going to say that it, it gave the clones personalities for the first time. Because if you imagine, this is really the first time that we've actually got into the minds of the clones. And in a way, as much as this is a Yoda episode, it's almost, it is also a clone episode. Uh, you get to understand how how they perceive the war. And um, I think that's really interesting because he gets into their mindsets. And you can actually see, even in the brief 10 minutes that we see of these clones, that he knows every one of their personalities. Um, when he goes and says something like, Fire should not rush into fire as long as the war, and only by surviving will you prevail. Um, which, again, is really interesting comments, but again, it had this ominous mood to it because you know that really, as much as the it seems these clients have taken in what he said, they haven't because at the end they're going to betray the Jedi. And that's what's also quite sad about this, in a way. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a, it's a really... You know, as much as much as we love seeing the Empire Strikes Back thing, just I'm still getting over the fire thing. To be perfectly honest, Chris just <laughs> Chris, Chris just threw me for a loop. Um, so, <laughs> so we we can we'll move on for just a second here while I sort of get my bearings again. Um, the other thing this episode had a lot of that became a bit of a, a focal point for the first couple of seasons was battle droid humor. We had a lot of. Oh, um, I wrote that down. Yeah, but I just got promoted. You know that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> What do, what do you guys? I have to say though, this this one's got the funniest one in it. I'm not gonna lie, I do like this one. You know the the bit with the tanks. Yeah. And then and then the tanks, and he says like, stop, stop. And then it's too big to fit in there. And then one of them guys says, no, we're not. And then he goes and pushes in, and he he jumps out, and he's like, oh, you were right. Oh, it just cracks <laughs> me up. And he was like, next time listen to orders. And he, you know, I did like the droid humor in this episode. I thought it was very funny actually. I don't know what your opinions were on it. I don't know. Chris, what, what did you think? Well, normally I absolutely love the droid humour. I think it's great. and it's You have to ingest that humour into Star Wars. That one you bring up here is actually about the only piece of droid humour I don't like. I really don't <laughs> like that particular sequence. And I don't know what, what it is about it, but it's just... it's. It's too obviously, no, you can't fit. Like, it's just, why on earth would a droid with some form of part distance control you would have to imagine... Or lay an assist or something. Can not get that tank in? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just ruined I, it. I like, I like the droid humor. Yeah. I like it when they're <laughs> dumb and they do stupid things, but I hate when it takes me out of it in terms of they are supposed to be robots and computers. <laughs> and they're approaching this thing from a point of view of a really stupid person. <laughs> you know? But a computer should be able to make that calculation and know that the tank doesn't fit. Yeah. Exactly. I, I I'm very mixed on, on on battle droid humor. There's some of it um, that I find absolutely hilarious, um, but there's other stuff um, that I think, like you said, Chris, that a computer should know better than that. Um, you know, even the but I just got promoted line. It kind of like, do they promote people? I mean, do you promote yeah. computers? What does that but, mean? Do, do you get but, an upgraded in programming or or, that, or what? Yeah, but that's funny because that's a droid with an ego. I think that's really hilarious and funny because it's just out there and it's bizarre. 
it's it's kind of it's, it's going at it with a different angle. You know, a droid that's got delusions of grandeur. They could start. Sure, sure, definitely. Um, so uh, let's talk about the end of the episode. Um, King Katunko uh, finally stands up to Ventress uh, instead of letting her control the situation. He tries to take a bit of control, and he he nearly loses his life. Um, so I guess that really showed sort of the Sith way um, that you know. Even even when they lose, they they can't take that loss. They have to cheat, uh, as they were cheating throughout the whole episode. Um, what did you guys think of the ending of this particular episode, um, Chris? Well, again, yeah, I mean that brings back to my point earlier about how Yoda's just completely in control. Mm-hmm. You know, as the audience, they go, "Then just going to strike him down," and immediately Yoda's just one hand up in the air, stops lightsabers. No, this isn't happening. You know, and he rips lightsabers out of his hand, and it's it's a really cool scene. Just the way Yoda almost teases Ventress. He really puts her in her place, you know. Strong with the dark side you are, but not that strong. Yeah. And steals lightsabers away and lets have them back. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's a really nice summary to just that you know, adventure you've been on and it's intelligent yet funny sort of solution to the whole thing. Yeah, it kind of it kind of almost goes to the fact that maybe Yoda doesn't really respect Ventress as any sort of threat. You no, know, when, not when at he, all. Yeah, when, <laughs> when he sees Dooku, he's, you know, pulling out his lightsaber and stuff, but Ventress is just... You know, one hand, you know, mocking her at. That's yeah. that's really great. Um, Kieran, what do you think? No, yeah, uh, adding on to that, he even takes the lightsabers from her and then chucks them back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can have them back. I'm not bothered what you're gonna do with them. But what I was gonna ask, quick question is, what did you take on the on the Dooku and Yoda relationship? Because I, it's something that I would have liked to see more in the series. Yeah, and I feel like as much as they don't like each other, there's still that. That respect there, you know, they, they call each other master and apprentice still. Um, yeah. I don't know, what, what did you take? I know it's brief, but maybe just in general, the whole Dooku-Yoda relationship. I, I think it's it's really fascinating. It's it's a very much a precursor to, to Vader and Obi-Wan, um, although they get to spend, a, I guess, a little bit more time with each other. Um, or, or maybe Anakin and Obi-Wan get a stronger relationship. But I think it just shows that maybe Yoda... Maybe that's sort of one of Yoda's regrets that he um, that he was never able to to keep Dooku to the light side. Much in the way that Obi Wan's biggest regret is what happened with Anakin, and the difference being that Yoda actually has a chance to maybe do something about it. And so, anytime they meet, Yoda, you know, gets his chance to well pull out his lightsaber and try and take down Dooku. And Dooku uses the ways of the dark side, basically running <laughs> to run away as we see in, in Attack of the Clones. Uh, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, well, if I remember it correctly, I mean, this episode, their conversation doesn't get terribly in-depth. It's just a little bit almost of just bantering, almost, you know, my, my fallen apprentice, my old master, that kind of stuff. And it really is just, it's there almost like as a reminder of the conversation they have in Attack of the Clones. But Attack of the Clones is all we really get to see in their relationship. Um but if you are looking like more of that stuff, there's there's a really great novel called uh, Yoda Dark Rendezvous, where Yoda has like a, a secret meeting with Dooku, and the whole book really is playing up to what Dooku's thinking is going to happen at this meeting, and his sort of it's like his moment of doubt, a crisis of confidence in Dooku, getting towards the end of the war, and that's probably the most interesting thing about that relationship. Unfortunately, the Clone Wars never really got into it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I I kind of wish you know. We run down our wish list for that Yoda arc. It's one of those things that yeah. that's on there, but it's one that, from from just what we've heard, you know, with the Sith Temple and, and all of that stuff, uh, Yoda getting hurt 
I don't think there'll be space in there for that. And Dark Rendezvous is one of those novels that I've wanted to check out for a long time, and I definitely it's it's up there on my reading list because yeah. uh, that is a, it's a really fascinating fascinating relationship, much in the way that the, the Anakin Obi Wan one is such a great relationship, and I love the light that Kenobi, the, the novel by John Jackson John Jackson Miller, shed on it. Yeah, it was great. Awesome. Thanks for plugging it out. I'm definitely going to have a look at that one. Because I've always been interested in the two. I know we don't get to see much of them, but I think also it's more that we don't we don't really know a lot about Dooku's past. Yeah. And it would be interesting yeah. to see um, what, what, what he was like before this. Um, and that's always been intriguing Hello, to me. I know. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, Biggest TV series. I, 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 <laughs> Dooku is, you know, they talk about young Han Solo, young Boba Fett getting spin-off films. I'm a bit eh on both of those. I don't know if I really want to see their all of their backstory explored. But Dooku is is one character that I would really, really like to see more of because we got so little of him uh, in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, and even the Clone Wars series. That I would love to see him with Yoda or you know him with Sidious, and I think. Or even just a, a Darth Plagueis-style novel about him, just going through his life and, and all yeah. that stuff, right up until even right up until his death in Attack of the Clo- or not Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. There's little For bits. Sure. Some of the Scholastic books cover that. There's one. There's two books in particular. I can't remember what they're called, but they basically focus on the four generations of Master and Apprentice. Yes, I read that like, one. It's um, yeah. what is it? I'm, I let me look at my bookshelf here. It's either. Legacy of the Jedi or Secrets of the Jedi? One of those two. It might be both. Yeah. I think it's both. It might be both. Yeah. yeah. I, I have. I got this one book several years ago. It has both of them in it. Both of those novels in it. So. Ah, cool. So, yeah. Oh, very, very nice. So, but but, but well, one thing with the Dooku thing that's always bugged me is in the deleted scenes of Episode Two, they have a little bit about his backstory. I don't understand why that's a deleted scene. I would have liked to see that. Um, shed a bit of light on him. Definitely. Even, even just a little bit like that, because you really, when you see him in Attack of the Clones, you, you don't know a lot, apart from that he was Yoda's ex-apprentice, and now he's on the side of the Sith. You get, you get nothing about him. I know that's, that's similar to Maul, but um, we now know a bit more about Maul from the Plagueis novel, but it'd be interesting if we learn more about Dooku's past. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, just, just sort of what we know about Maul, um, there's so much room there for... Um, everybody's own interpretation of what could have happened to him. With Dooku, it's, there's nothing there other than he was Yoda's apprentice uh, and, be, and he eventually became disenfranchised with the Jedi. And that's something, I, like you said, I, I would really like to see explored further. Um, and, you know, but the thing is, though, is it seems that Disney is moving everything into more original trilogy and sequel trilogy era um, material, so... You know, it, it, we may not get this uh, this Dooku backstory for for some time, for quite some time. Yeah. We're looking into the future of that uh, bonus content. That that clip with Plo Koon and, and what I think we believe is Sifo Dyas's lightsaber, or it might not be, but oh. um, possibly. Yeah. No. No, no, no. It is. I just, I just, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm quite happy because I want to know more about him. Yeah, as much as I want to know about Dooku. I think, and I'm going to set myself up disappointment, but I, w- I would love it if there was some sort of flashback or something because there's something that we need to know more about about 
the as much as people want to know between episode three yeah. and four, well, between episode one and two, I mean, you got a good ten years there. Quite a lot happens between yeah. those two um, uh, time periods, which would be really interesting because it does quickly once you're back in episode two, it's it's really all in motion already, isn't it? I mean, the whole clones um, productions. You know, that's already been happening for a good couple of years, I think. So that's something that I want to know. Yeah. And I remember when I was younger, I never really got who Cypher Diaz was. I always used to think it was just a, another name for Qui-Gon or something. I just didn't understand it. Because <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan was like, oh, Cypher Diaz. And I thought, oh, was that Qui-Gon? I, I didn't understand who he was. And so um, I hope they explore that. Um, well, I think they are going to in the Clone Wars bonus content. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. maybe... I've always assumed that there was some kind of that Dooku played some kind of role in the the ordering of the clone army as well, along with with Sifo-Dyas, Whether it was as Count Dooku or, or Darth Tyrannus, um, yeah. I'm sure. And so, um, you know, sort of my reaction when you sort of brought that up was, oh, maybe that's an opportunity to explore a little bit of a, a little bit of Dooku as well. But but like you, I, I'm excited to see something about Sifo-Dyas. and and not to you know turn this into a, a, a prequel hating conversation because I think it's pretty safe to say none of us hate the prequels by any stretch of the imagination. I think we all love them. But that is sort of one of the few, sh- one of the shortcomings of, of Attack of the Clones is that that whole Cypher DS thing was never really fully explained. Yeah, we, we hear about Attack of the Clones and we've heard nothing about it for 11 years now and it's really, it, it's such a confusing point. This is what, why did that happen, and and why are the Jedi okay with this? Yeah, <laughs> why are they exactly. continuing to use this army without stopping and, and looking at it? And really, hopefully, the bonus content just puts that to rest and, and tidies that up. Yeah, I, I think part part of why they may have not really looked into it was just because just because of the situation where they were in such a desperate spot yeah. where they needed an army, and that ultimately goes back to to Palpatine's machinations that he was yeah. able to to time this out so perfectly. <laughs> Yeah, it's not just it's not satisfying as a fan, not understanding. I guess is where I'm coming yeah. from. But yeah, no, you, you're quite right for sure. Well, absolutely. With Cypher Diaz, is 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 some. It's okay if you leave something left relatively ambiguous, but it was literally the whole thing was ambiguous. You didn't know anything about him. You hadn't even seen him. He wasn't even mentioned in the episode one, and even in the Plagueis novel, he wasn't mentioned that much. I think. Yeah, he was in there for a couple of pages. He was in it, yeah. Wasn't he? Yeah, he was yeah. in there for just a little bit, not too too long. Exactly, not good. enough to know. Um, yeah, it was good. It was good to reference him, but again, still more light, in my opinion, needs to be shed on his character. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, really, I'll really jump in with a question actually. But back back onto ambush, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, is with Ventress. Um, I, I remember your point last week, Dominic, about saying how she wasn't really an assassin. Uh, to Dooku and uh, linked onto that, would you say that this episode justifies that? And this is open to both of you in terms of Ventress's character as we see her now. Um, uh, does, does she deserve to be in that position where Dooku is sending her off to do what is seemingly a very important job? Yeah, I think you know, I think Dooku views her as as someone he sh- he should be able to trust. Um, my issue was that he, he was she was his most prized assassin. Um, which opens it up to, does Dooku have more assassins? But uh, it seemed like whenever she went somewhere, she always failed in her mission, and this is sort of a kind of proof of that, is she shows up and, you know, she's can't, you know, she can't win. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, he set her up for failure, though, in this episode with, 
sending Ventress against Yoda. I, I mean, really, she didn't stand a chance. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I, I think in this episode she's absolutely there in her, in her role as an assassin. Yeah. Uh, that's absolutely what she's doing. I wonder, did Dooku set up to fail? Did Dooku not expect to succeed? It's hard to say. I mean, it's daft to think that Ventress can take Yoda, but an army taking a Jedi and a couple of clones, maybe that is viable. And he just, he underestimated Yoda, perhaps. It's a tough one to call. Or maybe he didn't know that, you know, it would be Yoda. Maybe he thought, oh, they'll send Obi-Wan and she'll be able to take Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So, well, links onto that. How do you feel the how do you feel about the way the separatists have been portrayed in this episode? Because they still have got an entire battalion here of droids, droidica, super battle droids, and they have got um, Ventress. I know she doesn't do much um, in the episode, but I mean, would you not think that would be enough to best free clones? And I know Jedi. I mean, Yoda is a particularly powerful Jedi, but um, I mean, how, I how think, do you feel? On that? I think it was if it was three clones and any other Jedi then I think the yeah. Separatists would have won. But because it was Yoda, and the only other Jedi that yeah, would that might have been able to get out of that would, would have been Anakin. Uh, but he would have done it in a very different way. Yeah. Um, I think it was, because it was Yoda, we're able to accept it um, fully as him just kicking ass and winning the day for the Jedi. Yeah, I think it ties back to Yoda's lessons from the cave. You know, it's particularly when he's talking about um, using your mind in a powerful weapon. It is you know, Yoda is the Jedi who's smart enough to win with three clones against the battalion, no problem at all. Um, and he's yeah, he's completely outsmarted. It. And even the fact that Yoda is the type of Jedi that can give those lessons on the fly, you know, he's he's that centered that yeah, it wouldn't be a problem for him. Yeah, and he he almost like he almost plays mind games with the battle droids. Yeah, um, you know, he yeah. sits down in front of the tank, and the, the droids are like, well, what do we do? He's, he's just sitting there. And I <laughs> thought that was, it was so brilliant that he was able to, right. you know, they obviously have no programming for, what do you do when a Jedi just sits in front of your tank? Because, um, <laughs> well, not many would do that, but because it's Yoda, he yeah. can do it. Since we're looking at since we're looking at these as, as story arcs, and they, they aired completely separately, one of them is the, the first episode of season one, and one of them's I think it's the third episode of season three. Yeah. How do you, how do you guys think these two flow together as a forty minute story? Um, they do feel um a bit separate. Uh, as in you know one has a very distinct beginning and distinct end, and then the other one has a distinct beginning and distinct end. It, um, they work. Well, I don't know. I think Ambush works very well on its own. I think uh, Supply Lines sets it up uh, sets it up very well as well. Um, but I don't know if Supply Lines works as well without knowing uh, what happens in Ambush. Uh, Kieran, what do you think? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question, actually. Um, yeah, because at the end, I definitely get the um, idea... And you know what's going to happen. This is supposed to lead on then onto ambush, but at the same time, this is another arc that's supposed to lead on to the Ryloth mm-hmm. uh, trilogy as well. So you have got that breakage there. We're going from two different arcs as well, but as you have got that underlying um, storyline there, you also do get intro- um, introduced to King Katunko, and I think that that in itself is um, an important. Uh, in- is important for the for the arc as a whole, in my opinion, because then it makes more sense. Because when when we, when we first watch Ambush, if you're going back 
uh, those few years ago. You don't really know who he is. And I can remember in the actual uh, commentary uh, that Dave Filoni said many people thought that Rugosa was actually Toydaria, the home of the Toydarians. So you're introduced to the Toydarians home and you know it's not um, their, their planet. It's a neutral system. So I think overall as an arc, it's, like you said, there is two separate storylines, but there are definitely threads between the two episodes. So I, I wouldn't say it, it wasn't, say, as complicated as, as the previous arc that we've had a look at. Um, so I'm kind of on the fence on this. I think it flows better as one arc than um, Captain Mouse, the Hidden Enemy, and the movie did. Uh, where yeah. I think that was very much three distinct stories tied together more by the location and the timing than what was actually going on. I think this one definitely, because because of King Katunko's conversation with Bail Organa at the end of Supply Lines, um, really much more feels like two episodes connected together to form one. Um, and then, of course, you could even say that this episode could be placed right in front of uh, Storm over Ryloth or whatever the first one is, and it could be a you know, uh, that make that a four-part arc instead of just a three, instead of just a trilogy. So, it, it you know, it, um, maybe one we'll have to discuss twice um, when we get to the uh, the other Ryloth arc. Yeah, I, I sort of see that there's you do have those two plots. I mean, the the first episode obviously has a lot of ties to that Ryloth story, but if you sort of strip it back and, and look at it, you know, I haven't discussed it intellectually. The, these tales would sort of run for me as this Todarian arc that runs over the two stories, and it it is it's the two two part story of King Katunko deciding what his allegiance is going to be. And you can almost sort of see the the Ryloth arc as following on from from both these episodes. You know, it's in the, in the first episode we see how critical Todaria is to the Republic's efforts on Ryloth. So by the end of your second episode, King Katunko has given his allegiance to the Republic and it allows the Republic to, to stage a much larger invasion. And then the Ryloth arc stands as a sequel to this arc. That's a good point, yeah. Exactly. But it is, that King Katunko element, however, it really takes a backseat. It's sitting in the background. I mean, the first episode is really about Jar Jar and Bale trying to help him a gun die and turn Cinderella. And the second episode is really about Yoda and the clones trying to overcome the droids. But it does, it has that, the threat is just not in the forefront, I think. Mm-hmm. That's a shame with his character, because throughout the whole whole time he's on the series, he is really just a secondary threat, isn't he? Yeah. When he but, eventually gets, well, later on, yeah, gets killed well, off, then, again, he's just serving as a plot point, isn't he, really? Uh, he is, but I think the fact that he's, he's he's almost a recurring character throughout the series, it it gives the series an overall sense of this is all one one series instead of just being, here's a story, here's a story, here's a story, here's a story. It He's one of those things that sort of ties everything together. Um you know, by reoccurring throughout the series uh, as a background character and how events in one story arc affect events in a later story arc. Like, if this if this episode had never happened, you know, Dooku wouldn't have sent Savage after him in the later episodes, and we wouldn't have, we may not, and things may have gone very differently um, between yeah. the Jedi and the, the Sith at that point. No. No, I was just playing devil, devil's advocate, really. Because <laughs> I, I actually quite like his character, and it was actually quite a nice thing to see in the in the Witches of the Mist episode. But um, it was just a question there to think, you know, he he is a character who 
he doesn't get developed in too much. But but on the other hand, we do get to see more of the Toydarians as as a species um, uh, in Star Wars. And I think this is the first time really that <clears throat> you got to break. Oh no, maybe Zero was, but again it it um, added on the idea of species aren't all the same. They don't have the same yeah. occupation. Not everyone is Watto. Not every Toydarian is Watto. Um, <laughs> that they do have a separate political system and they can have their own planet and they can be a king. So, um, again, this is just showing that the universe is very diverse. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so I think I think that'll uh, that'll pretty much wrap it up. Uh been a great great episode some great thoughts as always from 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 both of you guys uh chris any final thoughts on ambush and supply lines um, what was to say do you guys want to rate out of 10 this whole arc sure uh well, sure chris uh what would your rating be okay if, if we're going to step back and rather than look at individual episodes read it as an arc I imagine it's a 40 minute story movie i'd maybe give it a, a 7 out of 10 it's got a lot of strengths but the flow sort of broken in the middle of the three episodes don't tie that well and I don't know as much as I love the episodes was supply lines was it necessary to go back and do a prequel to that episode probably not uh, and that's the reason I would mark it down but I think in terms of viewing the character and the use of Jar Jar it is a really top notch stuff for sure yeah uh, Kieran what would you give this arc out of, uh, out of 10 probably give this one a 6 out of 10 6 out of 10 partly as well because in hindsight I can look at what else is to come but there's a lot of good stuff in here. I like the particular um, ambush part of the arc. Again, it develops Yoda's character, develops the clones. And at the beginning, in terms of uh, battle scenes, I think they're, they're very good. Also, you have season three quality battle scenes in, uh, in, the, right, in the supply lines episode, which again, I think was uh, very cool, very nicely animated, particularly when the ship was blown up by the clones. That was very nice. And also politically, you got to uh, be enlightened a bit more about, as you said, the Trade Federation and understand what their role is in the war. But at the same time, as an arc, how it flowed, the connections weren't overall uh, as concise as they could have been. You did have really an underlying theme arc or, or storyline, secondary storyline, rather than the main one. Um, they were two separate stories in itself. So uh, overall, six out of ten. Okay. About yourself, Dominic. I would go with a with a, a seven, seven point five ish, um, just because there's so much good stuff in there. There's so much, you know, between Yoda and and, and Jar Jar. Who'd ever thought that would be a sentence? Um, between Yoda and Jar Jar, this episode was perfect. Um, yeah, just just <laughs> what you guys were saying is they made it doesn't necessarily tie together as well as it as it could. Have. So I would definitely um, a seven point five for me. Uh, so let's go back, uh, Chris. Final thoughts. Uh, it's the overall thing. Like, so as I said in the review there, it, and you guys have mentioned again, it's full of these great little moments for being a Star Wars fan. You know, seeing George or having truly just laugh out loud funny moment that there's no awkwardness to it. It's just straight up funny. And then getting some Empire Strikes Back style, you know, I mean, who can complain? It's, it's so refreshing, as I said before. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Kieran, final thoughts from you. Yeah, echo in some of the comments that Chris has made. And I just think that this is definitely, um, obviously overall as an arc, it's not a Yoda Yoda arc necessarily, but the Ambush episode with Yoda is fantastic. 
and again I liked some of the action scenes which were very very good there were some funny lines in there as well and I liked the re-establishment of Jar Jar again as, as a character which to be honest these days is I think uh, a much more loved character in the Star Wars universe which I'm very glad to see and it got to show that he actually you know he has done political wit in that respect he is um, um, very very good in this episode he achieves the goal and it very much leads into the fortune cookie. Uh, when there's a will, there's a way. And that totally rena- resonates with Jar Jar. Yeah. So what about yourself, Dominic? Uh, I, like you guys said, um, between Yoda and Jar Jar and the death of, of Master Dai, I think there's so much good stuff in these episodes. Um, and, you know, I really do love Supply Lines. I think it's one of the... I, I know a lot of people list it in the not-so-good episodes from the first half, half of Season 3. It's definitely in the, the good episodes in my book. Um especially if you compare it to some of the other stuff that came out in the first half of Season 3. And, of course, Definitely. Ambush is Ambush. You can't beat an episode of Yoda running around um, killing battle droids and uh, giving some great advice. So, uh, between shows, the shows come out each uh, every other thir- every other Tuesday. Jeez, gotta, you know, gotta remember that. Every other Tuesday, um, between the shows, if you have... If you want to share your opinions on Ambush uh, or Supply Lines or what we'll be talking about next, which is the Malevolence Trilogy, you can send us an email at CloneWarsStrikesBack at gmail.com or you can like us on Facebook. Uh, that's Facebook.com slash CloneWarsStrikesBack or you can just search the Clone Wars Strikes Back, and you can leave a comment there. Um, or you can tweet us at TCWStrikesBack and be sure to follow us there as well. Um, you can sp- subscribe to the Star Wars Underworld podcast feed on iTunes. Um, that's where you'll find all of our episodes as well as all of the episodes of the Star Wars Underworld podcast, which you can listen to every Thursday live at 9 p.m. on channel 1138.com. Uh, and that's where you can find all the latest Star Wars news uh, and rumors, especially around Star Wars Episode 7. And it's the only Star Wars podcast with a weekly segment dedicated to Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, and don't forget to check out Between... Um, between shows uh, StarWarsUnderworld.com for the latest breaking Star Wars news including the bonus content, Star Wars Rebels, and of course, Star Wars Episode 7. So thank you everybody for listening, and may the Force be with you.